When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Outkick 360's Tennessee Power Hour is here. Time to break down the Titans in preseason game number one. UC Soros gets a contract that the Preds should be uh, very happy about with a four-year extension worth $20 million, $5 million average per year. We'll get into that a little bit later. Plus, Danny White and the University of Tennessee, the AD, uh, he's talking championships we will, too. That, that's coming up this hour. We start, though, with the Titans' thorough performance against the Atlanta Falcons. Backups on backups, but if we're judging depth right now, top to bottom, not positionally, but top to bottom, uh, the Titans thoroughly beat down Atlanta on Friday night at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and it starts with Rashad Weaver, who played the entire game, uh, worked his way into 73% of the snaps, I believe, Paul, is the final number there. He played some on special teams. I think he had six special team snaps as well um, and brought it from the moment he was on the field to the time he left. As a fourth-round pick, who they hope will, will be the, the number three edge rusher for them behind Harold Landry, behind Bud Dupree, this was extremely good to see for a team that lacked this athleticism, lack the young legs, the length, uh, the knockback ability last year. They may have found it this year in Rashad Weaver after the performance we saw in, in, in week one in the preseason. Keyword you mentioned there, length, the length, the length. I mean, he was putting that lo- those long arms to really good use. Even on plays, he had, a, what, a sack and a half, two, two quarterback hits, tackle for a loss, pass defense where he went up with both hands, stopped, yeah. you know, shadowed the quarterback rolling out, stopped, clearly saw he wasn't going to get to him, jumped up, batted it down with two hands. Super, super active. Did everything he could with the players he had. To, to beat in front of him. But important to keep in context, like one of the players in front of him is a third-round pick, Jalen Mayfield, who's not been very good so far as a third-string right tackle. And so I talked to him yesterday about it. He knows. Uh, and, and Vrabel said, you know, got to see him do it now against the second stringers and the, ultimately against the first stringers. He's got a – Shane Bowen has said, you know, that third outside linebacker needs to come in and play with no drop-off from Dupree and Landry. Weaver gives you some hope now that they have a guy who can come in and do that. Still a lot of uh, gap to close there in terms of the talent level you can do it against. But the length is the thing that sets him apart from the rest of that group and anybody they've had in that role recently. And that length should translate against anybody. He looks, we don't get into a lot of physical descriptions because all these guys look pretty good as professional athletes. He looks different than most of the guys they have uh, in that spot, in that position. Here's what I really love about Rashad Weaver and his performance, and it's what he said after the game, that he was given a directive to just go and ball out and play hard and not worry about things and not over, overthink anything in that game, and they were going to go back and watch film and correct things after the fact. And he went out there and delivered just doing that. 
There's something to be said about that. I know it's not against starters that he's going up against, but the fact that the guy was given a directive to just go hard in that game and dominated the game. Relentlessly. Against whoever was in front of him, that's a really good sign. And over preseason game one or not, that's a good sign. Overthinking had been what had been slowing him down. And Mike Vrabel, heading into the game, said he was excited to watch Rashad Weaver play, and that a week earlier he wouldn't have said that. You know, so he came on the week before well, the Atlanta game and delivered. And I, I want to actually give him more credit than what we're giving him. Let, let's discuss rookies who have played against backups in the preseason before and what they did. Uh, let's discuss the other rookies who played in this game and yeah, what they yeah, did. That's Rashad Weaver showed up. and th- It starts with that. And he played throughout the entire game, relentless in his effort. And we, we can rattle off the stats. I think it's important to note it's more than just the handful of plays where he was exceptional and made the stat sheet. Yeah. He was active, around the quarterback, active. around the football. He impacted plays. Even when the play didn't run or the quarterback didn't roll his direction, he was impacting plays. He was phenomenal. And there are other rookies on the field that we're not, that, are, that we're going to hear excuses made for. Uh, Des Fitzpatrick, is, you know, he's still coming along, and, and hopefully he can make a catch in practice sometime soon. Uh, we're not having to make those comments about Rashad Weaver. And we can go back years where we tried to get a pass rusher uh, that, that has shown up in a preseason game to, to talk about the way we're going to be discussing Weaver this week going into Tampa Bay and the two joint practices. This is exactly what this team needs. Uh, hopefully everything going on off the field is not a distraction come October. You know, that's the other thing that is worth discussing here. But on the field, you can't ask for much more, especially after the fact that Vrabel mentioned him going into the game, specifically mentioned him as a player who's excited to see play based on the week of practice. That, to me, shows consistency, and that's something to build around rather than just saying third-string tackle, second-string offensive lineman that he's facing here. All the other guys are facing those players too, and Rashad Weaver was the one who showed up. There's a lot to be said about a guy anyone who's got one speed and that is full on and that's what I saw in Rashad Weaver in this game we're going to get into Des Fitzpatrick apparently that may not be the case with him but again I'm with you I think about something I saw in that first episode of Hard Knocks with the Cowboys Micah Parsons getting pissed off that he was coming out of the game because he was just getting warmed up I'm just now starting to get my feet underneath me. I'm playing hard. I want to stay out there and keep going. And then he was bemoaning how many hours they were going to sit and not do anything. He said, well, there's two and a half hours left in this game and I'm out. Then there's three hours to get on the plane. It's four and a half hours back. That's a lot of sitting around. I like Micah Parsons, the football player, hearing that mentality that he's angry to come out of that game. I watch Rashad Weaver even in a not a huge spotlight type game. I mean, look, everybody knows the preseason is this point. We don't have to keep saying it over and over. But he didn't go into that playing like it was the preseason. You know what he did? He went into it because it was a football game. And the guy wants to play football. And he, when he plays football, there's one speed. And that's all out with the guy in front of me. Re- and I'm going to beat the guy in front of me and go get the quarterback or go make the play. I, I, I do think that you can't underrate that ability and that mindset and we saw a lot of that from Rashad Weaver and Hutton you're spot on we don't see that from many people we don't see that from a lot of Titans rookies at times I don't think anybody though was making an excuse for baby and Des Fitzpatrick he got a no, major they, call out from Vrabel the next day sure so it got to show a lot more to baby get more just, oh, let's talk there. about the positives and not the negatives so yeah. we're, and I'm not saying we no. 
I'm, I haven't heard anyone to speak on Des Fitzpatrick until Vrabel mentioned his name. And then he went out the next day at practice and dropped two and a half or three passes in individual with the, with the general yeah. manager standing right there. So he didn't react well to that. I'm sure what Vrabel told us is nothing different than what Des Fitzpatrick's been hearing over and over in the room. But Des Fitzpatrick is dropping like a stone while Marcus Johnson, Chester Rogers, who obviously did a lot to solidify his status with a 57-yard punt return, um, uh, you know, are solidifying. Marcus Johnson played opposite Josh Reynolds as a starter. Didn't have, it wasn't asked to do anything but run block some. Didn't get put on the field to be a gunner, which is something that could solidify his. He's safe as can be right now. Marcus Johnson's a no-doubter on this roster based on his deployment in that game. Des Fitzpatrick, you know, is in a slugfest with the Westbrook Aquina and Racy McMath for, for the last spots on this roster, and he's not doing anything like, uh, like Rashad Weaver did in terms of seizing, seizing the moment. He's a big disappointment right now. I also thought Dylan Radins did a lot to help himself in this game, hey, it was believe good. it or not. Like I, he starts at left, or excuse me, starts at right guard. You know, there's an eye roll for me as I watch this for the first two series because I'm looking at a second round pick play backup right guard and then he moves to right tackle and plays the rest of the game at right tackle and settled in and played well uh did play great it's not like we're we're writing uh, you know big storylines like we are about Rashad Weaver on Dylan Radins but it's a building block performance that you want to see from a rookie that should be based on the draft eligibility where he was status wise should be in the mix at right tackle this year and Keeping that in mind, I saw some things Friday night that you hope carry over into some great work this week against Tampa Bay and then carries over to the game. A lot of the guys who are going to practice in these one-on-one matchups on Wednesday and Thursday against the Bucs are not going to play Saturday night. Bruce Arians is already contemplating sitting all of his starters again on Saturday night, which means the Titans will too. Um, and, and in thinking of that, Dylan Radins, another massive week for him after a good performance, and he needed it this past week because it has not been a good start to camp for him. Uh, I think his confidence is is turning up. Not like you said, not not on the same course as, as Weaver, but uh, you know the trajectories yeah. are both going up. He's just on a lower course below yes. him the right guard stuff is a big turnoff <laughs> but I think, I think you have to keep in mind again and we're mentioning this guy's name a lot for backup interior offensive lineman uh, who had one you know pretty good start last year Aaron Brewer missing is a problem for this team he would be a guy that would be playing in one of those backup guard spots he would be relieving them of the Daniel Munyer problem we don't know how serious his injury is and uh, they've either got to be confident that Aaron Brewer's coming back off PUP or NFI, I'm not sure which NFI. one is on, NFI, or um, they, they got to start finding a solution for him somewhere because I, I don't know that they're deep enough to have uh, the eight guys that they need with, without uh, no. him. And everybody keeps listing now. I see roster projections. They're putting Quesenberry at guard. I don't know why you're putting Quesenberry at guard above Sam Brilo at guard. Uh, but either way, I, I want a guard guard um, somewhere in the mix there, and it's Brewer to me. They, uh, the, the depth issue showed up and was glaring uh, this past Friday night at offensive line. When they're blitzing the like Titans. crazy like that, those guys had no idea what, how to pick, uh, they pick started. They started camp with 17 offensive linemen on their roster. And 
and they've been a handful of those several. a good chunk of those are on a snap count like taylor lewan wasn't doing team period he worked some yesterday we can get into that later uh he's not doing team period for the first start of camp you're not going to see him in the preseason um, it, it, same goes for many of these offensive linemen. Ben Jones gets dinged in, in the middle of training camp as, the, as it gets going. You have three offensive linemen go down in one day, uh, and they are just piecemealing this together. And the, the way they have gone to patchwork this group going into the preseason game showed because the left side especially of the Titans' offensive line was getting dominated by the Falcons' front. And they're not game planning them. I'm not saying that the, the Titans knew certain blitz packages because Dean Pease did bring some blitzes in this game. Um, and he's working on things too. But man, did it look bad at times. Uh, and I felt bad for the quarterbacks involved in this because they took some hits that normally in front of a much better offensive line and, and in front of much better depth against guys who actually will contend to make rosters. Uh, they probably wouldn't have hit. There was one where they brought two DBs where Woodside just had to get rid of the ball oh. earlier. I mean, there, there, there was no pickup. The running back picked know, up the first guy. Second guy Bad. was coming free no matter what. But there was another one where Munyer and Jordan Ruse, no one would mistake him for Michael Ruse, <laughs> uh, they each put a hand out towards the guy in the middle and then went turned, both of them turned to their outside. And the guy came right up the middle. There, there's no hope there uh it's just not good enough and you're you're lucky nobody gets hurt out of out of that i mean that game overall just set offensive line play back quite a bit because the falcons were also (laughs) they were bad too yeah i mean there were aj mccarron is dropping back and immediately turtling yeah uh, after a three-step drop because guys are closing in on them everywhere it was a really poorly played offensive line game I think for both sides sad for Tevin Coley who hurt his foot sounds like he could be out for the year he was on track to make this team opens things up for uh Pico uh now with that last defensive line spot uh Coley Coley was setting a pace early as was Murchison and let's start there when we come back defensive line was pretty Uh, damn good the 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 depth on the defensive line as this game got going yeah, it, it has been, and we'll, we'll factor that in as we discuss the production that they had against Atlanta, what we hope to see moving forward this week. More Titans discussion straight ahead. We talk about Danny White's comments in Knoxville about winning championships, uh, plus the Preds trying to get back on that path as well with their starting goaltender, UC Soros. Details on the contract extension all straight ahead on Outkick 360. I'll kick 360 rolls on and our Tennessee Power Hour crew is all here today as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody and our studios with Yeehaw and Old Smokey. We are seeing clearly today that the depth on the defensive front for the Tennessee Titans, much better than a year ago. Seeing clearly presented by Toyo's Clinic, Outkick 360's trusted partner for all things LASIK and hair restoration. Call 888-315-3937 to schedule a consultation today with Toyo's Clinic. 888-315-3937. Guys, seeing clearly that the depth, and it started from the jump, against the Falcons. Uh, Lerone Murchison, I thought, gave some great snaps in his play. Uh, Trevin Coley, before his injury, he was very effective. Of course, Rashad Weaver, we, we've touched on that. But beyond that, five sacks, five tackles for loss, nine quarterback hits 
by the defensive line in this game. They wreaked havoc. Yeah, very good. That's that's a good group with the back end guys that we didn't know much about. Coley, Pico, um, who who uh, are you making roster bids? Coley now probably gone for the year based on national reports about the foot injury. Seen a specialist today, I believe. So uh, Robert Andrews. But, yeah. um, so he's probably out of the mix. Uh, looks good for Pico now. Um, uh, for that last spot. I think five defensive linemen's probably what you keep. You've got somebody handy um, on on the practice squad, uh, maybe including a big guy to, to be behind Tart for straight out nose tackle snaps. Anthony Rush, very, very big guy who might be he great is. in a uh, in a what do you think about game Murchison against a run guy? So Murchison's an energetic guy who looks like he's taking a year two step as opposed to heading towards a he sophomore did, Yeah, slump. it looks like he took you know, a deep breath and there's some comfortable aspects to his start to camp so far. Yeah, and he's an end and a tackle. I, right, I don't know right. who's a, a yeah, tackle and nose. A, a nose. Right. That, that's the one place that uh, – I, I guess Pico probably. Yeah, he's probably getting that role. And, and Coley – Started games for the Browns. Yeah, he played. I mean, when I started looking at his resume. bio, yeah, um, you forget how you know his experience was going to factor into this line, and he again he he played very well, and then you could tell when he went down, it was not good. So, can in, you guys, injuries a concern? It, we, we should also hit on Darrington Evans and uh, the kicker situation with Tucker McCann. But go ahead, we'll go there in a second. Can you guys really tell a difference between Logan Woodside and Matt Barkley? No, they Barkley seem like has a the same. Arm. They well, seem like the Barkley same. Barkley has a stronger arm, but Woodside was under more of an attack than than Barkley was as well. I, Barkley I, only I just, threw five passes or completed five well, passes. The, the I feel like is Woodside of, knows the offense. Correct, and I feel like so much of the debate about backup quarterback lies with, well, it's clear that Vrabel trusts Logan Woodside more because he knows the offense. He's been around longer. Well, that's great, but we can still have the discussion of who's the better quarterback. Yeah. I mean, oh, that, to yeah, me, that's a very sure. convenient excuse of, well, they like this guy because he's, they're more comfortable with him. They know him better, and he knows the offense better. Well, then why have shows like this if we can't discuss who the actual better option is than just say, well, you know, the head coach likes him better. Barkley's so that's got all a, we're going to discuss. Barkley's clearly got a better arm. But I don't know that you could judge Woodside too much out of that game. I'm surprised how many people were saying he was good. I don't think he was good. I think he was were, under assault. He was under assault. The, the, the touchdown pass to Cam Batson was yeah, it was perfect. nice. And Batson, was nice. Played, no, not, Batson played perfect. it very intelligently. I mean, that, that was an NFL throw from Logan Woodside. I mean, back shoulder to a 5'8 wide receiver. And a great play It has by to Batson. be pinpoint precision. And Woodside put it there to his credit. And Batson played it very well also. Yeah, he wasn't – whenever he tried – whenever he stemmed, he wasn't pressed off the stem uh, by the defensive back. It was good coverage by Chris Williamson, who's the corner on that play. Uh, it was a great throw, great catch, overall good play. Um, and, and it came off of uh, what was a good defensive effort by the Titans to put them in that situation. Uh, Woodside had the better day, but – to Chad's point, it, it's hard to judge based on what 15 pass attempts for Woodside and a very limited number of attempts by five completions. By five completions by Barkley. There is a debate to be had about backup quarterback, and I'm not willing to put that debate aside just by saying, "Well, Mike Vrabel likes Logan Woodside more because he knows the offense." And Logan Woodside may end up being the better option. I'm not saying that I, after one game, that I'm crowning Matt Barkley the best option at backup quarterback. But I do believe that there is a debate to be had about who the better option will be. There is, there is a Ryan debate, Tannehill. but the Vrabel likes him thing goes a long way towards determining 
who's going to win the spot. Watching and Woodside's him, the favorite. Watching Barkley throw when he came in, though, you can clearly see he has the stronger arm. Yeah, he's a better arm, for sure. Um, you mentioned Darrington Evans. A- am I alone in thinking that Darrington Evans, before he hurt the knee, which is concerning, did not look uh, particularly zippy? And his game is zip. Now, I know his game is catching passes more than it is running. But I didn't see a lot of zip to Darrington Evans, which made me kind of recount what I've seen in practice. And I, I, quite frankly, looking back, I don't think I've seen a lot of zip. You would know better than me on, on what you've seen this preseason. I, I in, in training camp, I, I have, I, watching him play, I couldn't help but think, yeah, I wouldn't keep him in very long. I mean, and I said that on Friday oh, leading yeah. up to the game. I wouldn't have played him but a series uh, because of the injury history and the fact that you have waited this long to, to get, get to the season up. where you get to another layer of the offense, and that has been what has been talked about with him. He's going to provide a layer, maybe a small bit and small portions throughout games, but he's going to help you win games. You need him on the field. And instead, last year's rookie season is in the training room. Uh, not all his fault. You know, he had the hamstring issue that wouldn't go away. And now, whenever he limps out of bounds, uh, non-contact. It looked like a hamstring, it, but it they did. call it a it knee. It looked like another hamstring injury. And they, they reported it was a knee. Uh, the, the team said that on the sideline. So it's a knee injury. But this is, this is concerning for a player that was going, it appeared, to going to get a, a lot of attention and looks in the preseason to be the surefire number two back behind Henry. I like Jeremy McNichols a lot. I think they like Jeremy McNichols a lot. He helped them survive Darrington Evans' injury last year. Uh, I think he outranks Brian Hill uh, by, a, by a good margin. I talked to Tony Dews, the running back coach, about McNichols missing time at the beginning of camp, and he kind of said, like, you don't want anybody to miss, but McNichols is the kind of guy that can survive missing based on – his knowledge of things and, and his, the way he carries himself and all of that. Um, so, you know, you hope Darrington Evans isn't out for long, but I, I, I think they can live. Um, you know, we're not going to see Derrick Henry, obviously, so it's going to look like a giant gaping hole with those two guys out, and they need maybe to add a back. Makai Sargent um, is there to take a lot of carries, and he'll take them till he drops to the ground. I remember yep. specifically thinking on a first-half carry from, uh, from Darrington Evans – that he bounced it outside, but there was more there than he got. And I'm thinking if a guy's going to be explosive and a home run threat, it was a 8 to 12-yard gain on the play. It should have been 28 to 30. It was a very meager gain cut for it, a guy who had a clear cutback uh, angle to get to the sideline and race go. someone and beat them to the sideline and go. Yeah. And it was a very hesitant type run for a guy who should be your home run. I hitter. saw that too. I'm glad he did. And, and with, with Evans now, I mean, with, with the knee issue, I, I don't foresee him being a factor at all this week. We won't see him again. I, I would we, Yeah, imagine. we probably won't. And, and so now it's, it's going to be – it'll be Hill and McNichols. Uh, when, and Sargent second half. And, and, and Sargent who is going – I mean, he had some nice outside zone runs. I think the biggest thing for Makai Sargent to make the practice squad and be a game day call-up – option for them is on special teams. teams he had the kickoff return tackle on kickoff coverage that's a that's a nice sign that's how you make a statement in live action it's a nice job by Makai Sargent getting his name mentioned because if you're a running back three on game day you're up because of your special teams options you're not up to get reps in a game um 
thing is that Hill was used at least once, if I saw correctly, and I'm pretty sure, I can't guarantee you it was him, because the, the, that far gunner on a, on a punt mm -hmm. is far away on the TV screen. Yes. I'm pretty sure they used Hill as one of the second two gunners. Uh, paired with Fred Brown. Fred Brown, by the way, played a lot better than he practiced. Um, but I think they used Brian Hill as a second gunner. So that gunner spot is valuable. So if they think he can be a gunner, if they're down at running back, there might be some value there for him as a replacement if, if Darrington Evans were to be uh, on IR to start the season. Now, for somebody like Darrington Evans, just to, to remind people, he would have to be on the initial 53 for a day. Then you could put him on IR and replace him. Then he's recallable after three weeks. You cannot cut him and or you cannot put him on IR before you cut down to 53 and have him recallable. That's one of the ways that they're avoiding people messing with that IR. So you've got to be on the initial 53 to then go on IR to be recallable. Tucker McCann uh, was consistent whenever he was called upon in this game uh, and then unfortunately had his right ankle rolled up on after attempting and making a kick. Didn't look real good. Could uh, be his foot too. That was a personal foul for roughing, gave them a first down and eventually a touchdown. Uh, yeah, could be his foot, his ankle. Um, it did, did not look, look good. good. It, it, they, they're saying it's day-to-day. -day. He wasn't out there yesterday. Um, and they didn't even kick yesterday uh, with with – there are other options, I don't believe. I didn't see anything going on. I, I think they – yeah, I don't know if they put foot on ball. They might have gone through the motions for, uh, for like a field goal at the end of Yeah, a, I didn't see Ficken drive. attempt any while I was out there now, for the Ficken final Ficken was hour. good too, but he hit – was it extra point through uh, off, the the, off the upright? Yeah. And he's not a good – he's not historically great at um, extra points, which is concerning. Yeah, McCann was okay. And, and now even if he's able to come back, you hope – that the, the mechanism, the, the mannerisms are not affected on the foot that he's going to be kicking with. I mean, again, kickers are quirky. Yes. They all are. Uh, if something small is off, it's like a golf swing, they're, they're off. And you hope this doesn't affect them moving forward. Have you guys been able to spot James Wilhoit, kicking coach, at no. practice yet or at the game? No. They talked about him on the broadcast. Uh, Corey Curtis was talking about James Wilhoit's addition. And I was thinking, are they going to go – uh, to a coach's box, they're going to go to the sideline and show him, and never saw him at the game either. I need to ask about him because uh, Vrabel, when I asked him about the title, is like, check the website. And I haven't checked the website lately, but he wasn't on the website at that point. It's funny to me that like, he's like, I'm not concerned with titles, but then the guy who's really technically the assistant wide receivers coach is called the offensive skill position coach or skill coach or something. So he's not concerned with titles except for that guy, Eric Frazier. Well, I would, a little bit I would respond and say, would you consider yourself the head coach in title? <laughs> or is it fluid? <laughs> You're not concerned with titles. <laughs> well, what are you exactly in this, great, in this pyramid? That's a, yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, I'm pretty sure he'd like to be referred to in the bio as the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Not, we are not a coach. Seeing clearly with Dr. Rolando Toyos and Toyos Clinic. You can visit toyosclinic.com for more information. You can also call the number 888 
Each and every Monday, we see clearly with Dr. Rolando Toyos and Toyos Clinic. A lot still to come this hour. We've got the 360 Parlay. We have Tennessee Vols talking championships. We have an extension for UC Soros. That's all straight ahead in the Tennessee Power Hour. Outkick 360's Daily Parlay. We are ready to win. And because of that, the three of us have turned the tables and we're allowing the production assistant to make it happen, to make it rain. Giving away the power. Uh, it's been, Dylan T- Taylor, our production assistant, hit on three parlays this weekend, sent us screenshots through FanDuel, and Chad said immediately to Dylan, you have the parlay. To which I say, Ellie Sylvia has the parlay on, on Wednesday with this. But let's go, let's go with Dylan's parlay for today's 360 parlay with fanduel.com slash OK360. And let's just flat out say it. It looks like a winner. Also, when I said that uh, he had the parlay, my wounds were very fresh off my Falcons money line bet from Friday night. And I said, that's it. We give up. Titans you minus 22. <laughs> you also, when you got a heater going, you can't turn away the heater. And that's what Dylan Taylor has going on. We're going Reds money line against the Cubs, against Reed's Cubs. The Kansas City Royals, who are a slight underdog, but they're going to beat the Astros at home. And under 12 runs, Padres, Rockies at Coors Field. That is a three-leg parlay worth $27.84 for you if you bet $5. Dylan Taylor, the pressure is on. Ellie Sylvia, start researching. Find us a winner for Wednesday. I remember when I took an under at Coors Field and you buried me. Did we win? No. I, know, I know we didn't win the whole thing. <laughs> oh, but I think, I think it was under at Coors Field, but I, I doubt we won because it was us. I accidentally, <laughs> uh, Paul, you had a different parlay last week, and I think it was Arsenal or someone they were playing. I took the other team in a game. And on, won. In Brentford. Yeah, that right? was a huge upset. Yeah, I took that. Brentford I lost just parlay, got elevated. I won that part of the parlay. I'm thinking, I thought I took Arsenal and I took Brentford. We, we should point out, we don't suck at betting at FanDuel.com. It's just the parlays yeah. that are extremely hard to hit on. Uh, Chad and I compare notes over the weekend. We hit on three separate individual bets that get us back to about even yeah. at the yeah, end of the weekend. We the problem is we just bets. haven't hit on the big parlays that everyone's following along with. We're going to start that this week. I need to make more individual bets. We're going to start that this week. Well, FanDuel.com slash OK360. There are times in life you have to turn to the youth. <laughs> It's the children that are our future, so we turn to Dylan Taylor to find a winner for us. I would have killed on Chelsea this weekend, but I I came downstairs about five minutes after kickoff. Enjoyed that win. There are live betting options that if you just want to throw a flyer, I've had so much success in the weekend. The Reds. Finding something that's just astronomically low odds. Team goes down a one run. It was three to one. Pirates were losing to the Brewers in the second inning. I think it was. And it was like plus 750. I said, I'll throw $3 in the Pirates coming back. Two runs and seven innings and making that happen. They won 14 to four. The Pirates did. And I collected on that. That's where I find success are those live options that hit. Hutton will occasionally text me also when he sees something where a team may be mounting a rally and the odds are in your favor Include at that me. point. me. I want that. I want that money. You can join us. FanDuel.com slash OK360. You can also, if you're a first-time user, 
go to the site and go to fanduel.com slash OK360. You can download the app. You can place up to a $1,000 risk-free bet through FanDuel and FanDuel Sportsbook. Up to $1,000 risk-free, meaning if you lose your first bet, you can get up to $1,000 back in site credit. If you win, you keep the cash. It's that simple. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Chad, Danny White speaking to some Tennessee fans and was talking championships. I didn't. I never Plural. thought you'd call Tennessee fa- uh, Chris Lowe and Austin Price Tennessee fans. But. Oh, I thought <laughs> were they talking directly to them or were they, they were, at the? He was. Yeah, no. Oh, I thought was, this was uh, at the breakfast deal. Last week he was at the Rotary Club. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Uh, last night he was on the Nation with all. But I will tell Austin Price that you called him a Tennessee fan. I'll tell him right now, him. Austin. Just text him. Yeah. Text Look, him. Go balls. Yeah, go with the white shirt with the power tee instead of the orange shirt with the power tee. Peter Millar's Tennessee collection. Such a homer. Um, <laughs> Austin Price and Chris Lowe on the Nation last night. Uh, by the way, I can't wait to talk to Austin Price because they do this show from an actual booth in a restaurant, which was amazing to me just to see people dining around them and they're next to each other in the booth. We've got the quote, Jacob, if you can throw that up, uh, from Danny White. And the quote um, is about Tennessee's uh, improvements with the athletic department. But it's also uh, something that was um, quite sure of himself. He said, I know we're going to win national championships, and I know we're going to bring our football program back to where everybody wants it to be. Again, I know we're going to win national championships. Plural. This was a question about football, and you're right, Paul, that was plural in his statement. Look, I mean, this is, I think that's what you need to go into a job with that mentality, that it's going to happen. Danny White is not short on confidence at all Uh, in every interview that he's ever conducted i think the rest of college football reads that quote and laughs and thinks in 10 years when danny white's not working there anymore we're all going to have a lot of fun with that quote uh, and retweet it but i mean if you're tennessee isn't that kind of what you want ultimately is an ad that feels that way about his own program every i think every he was saying this at central florida so, yes, he was. I mean, so I want that confidence. And that's why he was successful there. That's why, that's why many were surprised he left to go to Tennessee, quite frankly. Um, Tennessee needs this energy and juice behind the scenes. And I, I think they, they have that in certain areas of their athletic department and with certain programs. They don't have it right now in football. And that's not Danny White's fault. Danny White is coming in with the mentality, saying, screw the past, I'm going to build this how I know things need to be built in order to get back to that level, and I can do it in the SEC. I can accomplish things in the SEC doing it the way I know works versus trying to do it elsewhere and not getting the recognition for it. He also acknowledged that he wasn't going to win a national title at UCF, you know, even though he had the national championship banners uh, and everything else. Um, he said in an interview that uh, Tennessee came open and I said, I can win a football national championship there. And that's why he was interested in the job. So this is not false bravado. That was a job he circled and said, well, you know you can win a national well, title there because there it's a happened. Lot of, uh, I mean, any Power 5 school you could conceivably win a national championship at. Like, uh, logistically. Yeah. <laughs> Hypothetically, you can win at any Power 5 school win it at based Central on the Florida. setup. You're right. Yes. But, I mean, he, he said that was one of the reasons he took the job yeah. was for that because he, he was going to go win a national Well, he would have taken an athletic director job, I would imagine, 
at a lot of different schools. There's another thing where like, uh, you know, a previous coach saying, uh, who grew up in Warrior, Michigan, saying, I've always dreamed of the Tennessee job. You can only extend those things so far. Look, a good job at Tennessee where I can reconstruct the program came available and I took it. But I don't want to imagine like I have four jobs circled in my life that I was going to take if they came open. Otherwise, I was going to be at Central Florida for life. I wouldn't buy that for a second. There are well, certain like programs, the- though, Chad, that he, he's not a power five gig that you're not going to take. Because you know you're not right. going to win a national title. At Tennessee, sure. you've seen it before. You also see the, the amount of income that comes through the football program, and you think to yourself, oh, we, we can make this work. It's going to take work, and it's going to take patience because of where they are and a realization that they are nowhere close to good. Um, but beyond that, if you do it and you have the foundation and the building blocks of where you were versus where you ha- hope to go in, at, at the new spot, Tennessee's one of those programs where realistically you can see them climbing the ladder back to prominence. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in three or four years. But in the new day and age of NIL and open uh, transfer portals and everything else, it doesn't take five years to get back to the top. It can happen fast if you go about it and plan the right way. Well, and here's a fact. There are only, uh, in terms of the percentage of all of college football, there are a very few programs that can say they've won a national championship in the BCS slash playoff era. And Tennessee is one of those programs. They won the first one, but they're one of the few programs that can state that. Not every SEC school right. can say that. So he's factually correct yeah. in what he's saying about the ability to win a national championship at Tennessee. There's no denying that, regardless of what people want to say about the program right now. Here's another area where I think he gets it. And I greatly disagree with Danny White and Tennessee's approach with the NCAA in this investigation. Let me put that out there first. But where he does get it is while he's going to talk about the most successful spring sports season in school history, which statistically it was when you look at their spring sports, he always goes back to the fact that football is broken right now and nothing is good until football's right. So he'll, he'll, he'll hype that up, right? He'll hype up men's basketball. He'll hype up Kelly Harper and what she's doing with women's basketball, women's sports, spring sports, everything else. And he should because he is the head of the entire athletic department. But he's also realistic enough to know, but we got to get football right. Now, everything else is it okay. Starts there. Everything else is working. Baseball's on fire. Men's basketball's really good. Women's basketball's on the way back towards the top. All these spring sports, tennis was a Final Four type team, national championship match type team. All these sports are great. But hey, we got to fix football. And that's the reality of what Tennessee fans know. And I'm glad that they have a leader now that also understands that. What did he, what he, what did he tell Austin about the investigation and where they are and the money that they're spending? He said that, uh, well, I got my hand slapped a bit uh, talking about it last time. I'm not supposed to talk about an ongoing investigation, so I'm not going to say anything else about it. He told uh, Adam Sparks had the report. He spoke at a Rotary Club the week before, and basically Danny White said, these things take time. We're not going to turn something over to the NCAA for them to investigate. We're going to do all the investigating. We're going to turn over what the penalty should be in the end of the investigation. This is not 
some, you know, do three-fourths of the investigation, be done with it, so the NCAA then investigates. My response to that is, the NCAA is not going to investigate whatever you give them. Right. They have gone shotgun with you the entire investigation. They don't have the resources to investigate further. So get with Greg Sankey, get with your administration, and just go ahead and levy your own penalty and be done with it. Who slaps his hand? NCAA? Donda Plowman, probably. Oh. I mean, his boss, yeah. the chancellor at Tennessee, said don't talk anymore about Don't talk about this until we reach a million dollars in attorney's fees. Right. We, gotta, we, we have a gentleman's agreement <laughs> with Shankman, Bond, and whatever the hell <laughs> out of Kansas City that we have to get to a million dollar in billings first before you can say anything. We're about two about months away. We're about, give it two right. months. Let's get us to Christmas. Let's get us to the finish line of the season. And then we'll be done with the investigation. Uh, so uh, UC Soros signs a four-year extension worth approximately $5 million per season. I think it's the perfect length. Uh, they've, you know, they've got some, some young players waiting in the wings, uh, one in particular that I know they've, they've spent a high draft pick on that's not quite ready yet to be the full-time backup. Um, that gives them time to develop. And it also gives UC Soros plenty of time to entrench himself as the franchise in net. I, I think the, the, the amount of time and, and money uh, extended to Soros here is great. Um, so job well done on this contract extension by the Nashville Predators as uh, they move forward. We, we have extensively dissected what this offseason could mean and line up for David Poyle and the Preds. This was a big step in that process of getting their, their net uh, clear. You know, they, they've got the future there. They've moved on from, from Pecorine, who retired. Now they have UC Soros as their guy. And they can focus on building around him for the foreseeable future uh, and what was a deserved contract extension and uh, deserved opportunity for him to be the number one guy. Seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, and look for both sides. I mean, it's a short-term deal for Soros, so he gets to cash in again at a young age. And from the Pred standpoint very affordable given the circumstances and given the importance of what Soros means to that locker room and that franchise, especially knowing with the leverage that, that he had, knowing that he's the guy. What else were they going to do? Pekka retired. Um, good job by the Preds getting it done and by Poyle in the front office there. Uh, tomorrow, we will be previewing the joint practice work with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that takes place on Wednesday and Thursday. Paul will be joining us live from the practice facility in Tampa later this week on Outkick 360. Looking forward to that. We answer a question, though, as we wrap up the show. A question from last week on Field of Dreams, Chad. Field of Dreams and the Field of Dreams game for Major League Baseball last Thursday. We, had, we asked the question on Friday. We wonder what that meant for streaming of Field of Dreams, what that meant for downloads, purchases, sales, opportunities, everything. I know Reed went and watched Field of Dreams prior to the first pitch of that game because it was top of mind. It was back in the news. I'm sure many of you did as well. You found an article that actually says that sales are up substantially because of that game in Major League Baseball. Shout out to uh, Big Lebowski for passing this uh, Uproxx article on to me. Uh, because we did bring this up, I can't remember, Hutton, if it was you or Paul that asked the question about how many people are going to stream Field of Dreams over the weekend. Well, we have our answer. According to Amazon, it is number one, number two, number five, number 11, and number 12 on their DVD sales list over the weekend. So the, the Blu-ray disc of the film is number one. It was up 
Get this percentage, guys. 60,800% from the previous week in sales. Number two is the basic DVD of the film that was up only 52,772% from the previous week. The multi-format Blu-ray landed at number five, only 3,168% higher than the previous week. In fact, you're going to love this one, Paul. Kevin Costner starring movies constituted seven of the top 12 DVDs by midday Friday. Game was Thursday night. By midday Friday, the underappreciated A Perfect World. I love that movie. Directed by Clint Eastwood, rose to number seven. And I believe he talked about he it talked in the broadcast. About it during the broadcast. That rose to number seven Fantastic with DVD. Flip. That's purchases of the DVD. For Love of the Game, no surprise, with Kevin Costner and Kelly Preston, also made the list at number nine. I, too, watched Field of Dreams over the weekend. It was on MLB Network. I recorded it, I watched it, I loved it once again. I will say I had my six-year-old watch with me. It says PG, and I thought, oh, this will be perfectly fine. You're not gonna learn any bad words in this movie. Immediate, 30 seconds immediate. into it, we had a holy obscenity on there from <laughs> Kevin Costner to his five-year-old daughter in the film, and uh, that immediately got some questions from my six-year-old. So, there you go. I, uh, I, anyone else surprised that this many people purchased DVDs in yeah, 2021? Yeah, I'm shocked. I, I think. Do they think that extreme. they're going to not be around anymore? Like, I got to get it before everyone buys all of the DVDs of Field of Dreams because yeah. this will be a collector's item now. I don't have a functional DVD player in my house anymore. I don't think. It's also available for stream on yeah. multiple platforms. I think for free. I, I would know. say Field of Dreams into my remote, but I'm more interested now in reviewing A Perfect World to see if it still remains one of my favorites. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Uh, come join us here at the studio, 6th and Peabody, with Yeehaw Beer, Yeehaw Brewing Company, and with Old Smoky Distillery and their delicious moonshine. 6th and Peabody, it sits, our, our, it's at 6th and Peabody, but if you're unfamiliar with the, the footprint of Nashville, we are literally right behind the Music City Center, so you could park there walk down 6th and join us here at the studio in what is a great venue where you can grab a quick lunch, a drink, and, and what have you, and also enjoy the afternoon here in downtown Music City. Hit us up on Twitter, at Outkick360, and subscribe to the YouTube channel where you're automatically entered to win the Sony and Hertz Odyssey prize pack. It's simple. Hit the subscription button, ring the bell, the alert button, so that you know we go live each and every day at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You're automatically entered to win this prize pack, the prize pack that will be drawn for and won at the end of this month on Tuesday, August 31st. So about two weeks left to subscribe to the channel and win the Sony and Hertz Audison car stereo system valued at over $2,500. It's real simple. We hope you'll subscribe to OutKick360. Say hi at the Titans practice tonight. Don't block the box, do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.